Hey guys, and welcome back to the Pennies to Pounds podcast with your host, Kay. And this is the podcast where we aim to dispel myths, simplify difficult financial jargon, and rectify your own personal problems. So this week, guys, I thought I'd come back with something I introduced right at the beginning. Right at the beginning, if you remember, I started doing penny problems. So penny problems was the episode where you kind of send in your your queries, your dilemmas with regards to finance or anything money related. Um, and I'll try my best to answer them the best way I can. So I thought it'd be nice to, to revive it. But before we get into that, I just want to say I am super excited because my first ever finance event is coming up on the 4th of February and it's officially sold out. I am overjoyed over the moon, all of the above. I am so happy um, to have sold out my first ever event. I'm super excited. It's going to be a great time. I've got so much planned. There's not many days left. Um, that's also the day I turn 22. Oh my gosh, I'm an old woman. Um, but it's going to be amazing. So if you're coming, I can't wait to meet you guys. If you want to come and you didn't manage to get a ticket in time, there will be a limited number of tickets on the door. So do feel free to come. Um, it's going to be a great time. I've got loads planned up. Uh, loads lined up. It's going to be amazing. But let's get straight into this episode. So you guys, those of you who have me on Twitter, you you guys send me questions. You guys are great. You send me questions. Um, And unfortunately, sometimes I can't always give you guys the one-to-one that I'd love to give. Yeah. Sometimes in a day I get so many DMs. Sometimes I'm going to get lost. Um, I just, I'm just unable to give you the one-to-one. So I thought, you know what, let's have this episode be the episode to kind of help you guys out. So I'm going to go through here um, and find a question. So this is kind of a long question, but I'm going to break it down into two parts. So it says, hi there. Hope you're well. Thank you. I hope you are too. Um, I hope you don't, don't mind me messaging you um, about credit cards and the application process, credit checks, etc. I have finished uni, so I am in my overdraft and slowly paying it off. I wondered if this would affect my eligibility. I could, I could do a credit card so that I can use it for business expenses that I don't want to affect my personal balance before I get them paid back. What do you think? So this question is quite a common question that I get often with regards to credit cards. So credit cards, um, for those of you who don't know, may not have like, listened to the credit scores and the credit episode of my dad. So credit cards are obviously probably one of the best ways to build a credit score. Um, and a lot of people are fearful of them a lot of people are scared of them because their parents may say don't get it. Um, a lot of people hear stories of people who are in a lot of debt and can't get back out of it because of credit cards. Credit cards are amazing ways to put it your credit score if you are disciplined. If you have the, the self-restraint and the discipline to say, you know what, I'm getting a credit card just so I can pay off X thing, whether it's like I'm just going to get a credit card and I'm going to pay off um, my petrol, for example, then credit cards are the best. But if you think I'm going to get a credit card and I know the moment I get it, I'm going online shopping and I'm blowing the whole limit that I have, then obviously that is not what I recommend for yourself. But to answer this question, um, so application process is all online now. You can literally go on like comparison sites like uh, Money Supermarket, Compare the Market to literally compare credit cards. So what it will do is it will ask you for some basic information about yourself, your name, age, address, occupation, all of that stuff. And it will run a soft credit check. So I've mentioned before the difference between soft and hard, but just to recap. So there's two types of credit checks that can be run on your 
profile. So you can have a soft credit check, which is, um, you know, these comparison sites when you look for insurance, home insurance, whatever it is, they run a soft check. So that is kind of like looking at the basics, kind of like, kind of like if you think of like a, like a cake, it's looking at the top layer of the cake. Kind of like, what can we see? We're not delving too far into it, which is looking, what can we see um, about your credit score? Just like the overall details to give you kind of like a basic understanding. So those kind of quotes is kind of like based roughly on what we can see from the soft soft check. Then the hard check, which is when you open up new bank accounts, when you take out um, a phone contract, when you get a mortgage, they run hard checks. And that is, if you think of a cake, that is the, when you get right into the middle, we're cutting deep into it. We're getting into the middle of the cake now. And we want to see what's actually in the nitty gritty of the cake. What makes up this cake? So that's where they, they run a lot deep and they see um, all your payments, all your credit that you've got out any kind of missed payments, that's where they get really, really deep into it because they're about to offer you, whether it's an account, credit, they need to know, are you good for this money that we're about to give you? So with that being said, if you go in these money supermarkets, compare the market websites for credit cards, they run soft checks. Um, Soft checks are fine. They like literally have like a next no effect on your credit score. Whereas if you have a hard check run um, and it gets declined, that can have a negative effect on your credit score. So back to that, that's fine, run a soft check. Um, and that way you're able to see what you're eligible for. You may be eligible for like 0% interest ones, maybe eligible for a whole host. It all depends on what you're eligible for. So even though I can, I could recommend to someone, you know, you should get this credit card. If your credit score doesn't allow you to get it, then it's not within your remit. Um, but that's what happened. So you find a credit score, the credit card that you want, it will bring you over to the website to apply, you apply. If you get accepted, they'll let you know, they'll give you whatever limit they'll give you, and then it'll be sent in the post. Pretty simple. With regards to your student overdraft or whatever overdraft you have, that is all taken into account. So if you have a student overdraft of like 2,000 pounds, let's say, and you've maxed it out, um, that will be taken into account because lenders are looking to see how much credit do you already have out. So if you already have 2,000 pounds out, you know, credit, because you've got it in your overdraft, they're gonna think, mm, well, how much of that have you paid back? Have you been making payments back to that? Mm, not really. Well, I'm not willing to give you a 0% um, credit card, for example. I might just be willing to give you a credit card with 20.9% interest. So that all that does play play a role in what credit card you'll be offered, but it's definitely worth having a look, and I recommend you to have a look and see what you're able to get. Um, but yeah, absolutely. If you know what you're going to use it for, then I say go for it and do that. Um let me have a look for another question. Let's have a look. Um, so someone asked me about jobs in general. So I'm going to read this question. It says, hi, Kate, what would you believe is the best job for most time efficient and appropriate for student busy life in terms of should I get a normal part time job in sales or invest my time into learning a new skill to make money, i.e. trading? Or should I do what the rest of the students do and budget while selling belongings, etc.? I'm basically just asking for tips on how I should make a form of income. I study law whilst also trying to go to the gym, whilst also commuting a lot of the time and taking part in societies and my church group. I can't be broke anymore, but I can't find an appropriate method of making money without interrupting everything in my life at the moment. That's a great question. Um, so I love, I love the topic of side hustles and making money. Um... If you're at university, so when I was at university, I'll talk about myself. I, in first year, for the first part, I couldn't find a job because it was so saturated. Everyone, um, everyone in Coventry, you know, was kind of looking for the same jobs and Coventry's quite a small town. 
So everyone was applying to the same place. It was really hard to get a job. But I finally found one. And I just did, I think my first job, I worked eight hours a week. So I didn't really interrupt much. Because I lived in Coventry. I barely came down to London to see my family. So I was always there. Worked eight hours a week. Then my second job, I worked 20. Then the one after that, I worked 16. But if you're quite busy, I'd say definitely number one, figure out if you can get a job. As long as it's not too far from you, as long as the commute is doable. See if you can get a job and try and work one that's like eight hours. A lot of these jobs in towns where there's universities, they know that students want to come and they may have a busy timetable and they just want to work a few hours a week to get a bit of extra cash. So there'll be a lot of jobs around there which are able to sustain that. If not, if you're finding it hard to find a job, then I I would recommend, whilst at uni and you're really busy, I wouldn't recommend learning a new skill. So for example, like um, the question mentioned training, I would try and figure out what skills do I really have that I can monetize. And trust me, Everyone has a skill that you can monetize. So for example, if I think about me back when I was a student, um, to be honest, I still am. But when I was actually living, living, living at university, um, I was there, I remember, I remember very vividly having a phone call with my dad and saying, you know what, I need money. Yeah, I couldn't find a job, but I need money. He said, you know what, kid, you can do this. Figure out a way to make money. So I sat down and I listed everything that I'm good at. Yeah, um, and I figured out what I was gonna do. I study French and business currently. So I was like, you know what? I can tutor people in French. Do you know what I mean? I can do that. Um, or I can create like guides and little kind of like helpful like workbooks to help people in French. I said, okay, that's one route. Um, I'm very good with vocabulary and grammar so I can proofread people's stuff. That's one thing. Um, I also sat down and said, what else can I do? What else can I do? I was there racking my brain. I said, okay, cool. I can video edit. I can do that for people. There's all things that you can do and you don't have to be the best or whatever it is you want to do. You just have to be better than most. That's why he always says my favorite line. You do not have to be the best. You need to be the better at it than most. And someone will pay you for it. There is someone out there who is saying, you know what? I write this essay and I have no one really who's good enough, you know, to, to proofread this. Actually, someone just read it. You know, like my grammar is kind of basic. Read it, throw some big words in there and boom, give it back to me. There's going to be someone out there for that. There's going to be someone out there who says, you know, I want to do YouTube, but I can't bother to edit, edit my videos. Or I can't edit properly. Boom, you can do that. Whatever it may be. And trust me, there's so many things. You can get creative with thinking about what you can offer. Um, even down to managing emails. I can't stand emails. I can't. I used to love them. And then I realized we've got a love-hate relationship. I get so many emails in one day that I find it so hard to ferry them out. Even if that is your thing and you're an organized person, even just saying, you know what? I will offer my services and manage people's emails. You know, like you, you can reach out to influencers, business owners, whoever, small businesses, whoever it is, you can say, you know what, I'll be in charge of your emails and I'll do that for £30 a month, £40 a month. You can do that, take on five clients and you've got money. There's all kinds of ways I could just bore you with so many ways. There's ways to make money whilst you're at uni. So I'd definitely say do one of those, either find a job or figure out what you can monetize. Um, because then if you do, if you figure out what you can monetize, you can kind of work it around your schedule, 100%. So that's what I'd recommend to you. Um, but definitely give that a try. Um, let's find another question as we keep scrolling down. Uh, right, says, hi, I hope this message finds you well. I just want to start off by saying you're honestly, uh, by saying honestly, well done with what you're doing with your platform as it is really equipping a lot of young people, in particular with financial tools to use and start being woke and cleaned up on these things. Thank you so much. Um, so I have 101 things to ask, but we will just start with two. So we're going to break it down to two. Number one, student loans. I don't know if you've done a thread of anything on them, but but things like, should I pay back little now? 
sorry, should I pay it back a little now or wait for when I'm earning enough for it to be taken from my family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so we'll start with the first one. Student loans, so if you didn't know, if you didn't know, um, student loans get taken out of your wages, I'm sure everyone knows. And it used to be, so every year the government seems to increase the amount of money you have to earn before you pay back, which is brilliant for us. Anyone who's got a student loan or you just recently graduated or you're going to graduate next year, that's brilliant. So I remember when I first started uni, you had to be earning over £21,000. Um, so I hadn't graduated yet. This is when I first started. Now I'm going to graduate this year. It's up to £26,000. £26,500? Around that mark. Um, so it's even better. So it gives you more time to kind of, you know, once you get your job, once you start hitting that mark, then you start paying it back. Um, and it's not like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I want people to stop seeing student loan debt as like a, the same as personal loans and personal debt. Student loan debt, um, once you earn over that threshold, so if I, if it's, uh, let's just say it's 26,500, okay? Once I start earning 25, oh, I can't even count. So once I start earning 27,000, so the 500 pounds over that threshold, I'll be paying back 9% of that back to student loan. Yeah, so only the five hundred pounds. It's not the full amount because that's exempt. It's the money over the amount, the twenty six thousand five hundred. I will be paying back nine percent of that to student loan. Um, and student loan, you pay that off for I do believe fifteen years or twenty five. I'm gonna say twenty five. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, but you pay that back for twenty five years. And if for whatever reason you don't pay it off, it gets written off. You know, there's no other real loans like that which get written off after a time period. So that's why I don't want people to worry and think, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be debt for life that loan will get written off, so it's okay, yeah? And if you happen to move countries, you don't pay that back either. But I'm not endorsing, I'm just saying, if you can only pay it back when you're in UK, so you're working um, a UK job. But I don't want people to worry about, oh my gosh, I've got this debt over my head, it's okay. So I wouldn't recommend you paying it yourself, um, unless you come in some big money, you wanna just eradicate that debt. If you're, if you're earning little bits here and there, then just leave it. Wait until you've got enough money, and it gets taken automatically from your paycheck. Just leave it there. I know they like to send letters and say, oh, you graduated now. Hey, hey, we can go for our money. It's all right. Wait until you're earning enough and they can take it themselves. So second question, homes. I want to buy and need to know everything about how to start and why, how to start and why, probably where. How to start and where, um, why I need to know? Sorry, in my head doesn't make sense. And why I need to know? And as a Londoner, it's not ideal for buying here. For, for Not ideal for now buying here, but any of the best places to buy as a 24-year-old. Um, That really baffled my brain. Sorry, the, the grammar. Um, that's such a broad topic, such a broad question. Um, But what I'll do is I'll advise everyone who's kind of looking to start saving up or looking to get a house in the very, very, very near future. Those of you who don't know, I'm looking to I'm looking to have my house deposit saved up by the end of this year. I'm on track. I'm doing well. I'm gonna have it saved up. I'm very proud of myself. Um, so I'm I'm very much in this situation with everyone else who's kind of thinking about the same thing. Um, if you don't already, definitely, definitely, definitely make sure you've got a nicer because if you haven't listened already, I've got an episode about the help to buy versus a lifetime, um, how those two work. I've got a thread on my Instagram, sorry, on my Twitter as well, explaining how they work. But definitely make sure you have a, an ISA, um, lifetime ISA if you don't have one open already, because you get the government bonus. The government will give you, for the lifetime ISA, because that's the only one you can open now, help to buy it ended in November. With the lifetime ISA, for every £4,000 you put in per tax year, up to that amount, if you put in up to £4,000 in one tax year, the government will add on a £1,000 bonus. So it's just free money for nothing. Do you understand? 
But when it comes to looking for a home, a lot of people are saying to me, you're saving up for your deposit. How do you know how much to save? The first thing you need to do is figure out where do you want to live? So I kind of figured that I'm not going to stay in London. I'm going to stay in the outskirts. As much as I'm a London gal, never moved out of London, I'm going to stay in the outskirts just because for me financially, I'm able to buy my first place outside of London a lot quicker than if I was saving up for something in London. Um, and you're able to get bigger places for the same money you'd get like a one bed flat in London. Um, so I've, I'm having a look on like the outskirts of London. So now I'm having a look. I know, right, I'm going to live on the outskirts, wherever it may be, Kent, Essex, wherever. I know that's where I'm aiming to live. Number two, I've been on like Right Move, Zoopla, all these places where people sell homes. And I've said, right, so I'm looking for like a one bed. It's just for me. I want to get my first place, one bed. How much are those roughly? In the areas I want to live in, how much is that roughly? Then you kind of get that property price. Um, and then from there, you know, you need to save up around 10% of the property value for your deposit. So if, if the, the average house property value is about £200,000, you need to aim to save up about 20000 to be able to get your first home. So that's the easy part, yeah? Saving up your deposit is the easy part. Then you need to figure out all the extra bits that come with it. So your income level. If you're like me, I'm still a student, I still work part-time. So on my part-time annual salary, I would not, I'm not currently earning enough to get the mortgage that I'd need to get my first house. That's obviously a very, very big consideration that you need to think of. If you're gonna come out of university and go straight into a full-time job, or are you gonna um, figure it out and work part-time? But that all plays a factor as to how much you'll be be able to borrow from the bank. Also, your credit score. If you don't check your credit score, please, please check your credit score. Have a monitor on it. Once a month, have a look. There's even websites like Credit Karma, um, um, Experian, Equifax, all these places which are free you sign up look at credit score and they often send you monthly updates and let you know if anything's changing your credit score if there's any kind of like marks that have gone on your credit score for you to go and have a look and keep up to date with it but your credit score needs to be really not impeccable but it needs to be at a pretty decent level in order to be able to get that kind of money from the bank so definitely make sure you monitor all that and once all that comes together then you start going around looking for houses you get yourself a mortgage broker um, and you kind of go from there. I should also add, when it comes to saving up money, the deposit is great, but there's other fees which come with buying a house. Um, for example, like solicitor fees, mortgage broker fees, all those fees that people tend to forget. So if you're saving up, like like I said, if, if the property average property value is 200,000, you aim to save up 20,000, maybe save up an extra couple of grand to cover any kind of fees that may arise so you know that you're covered. Um, but yeah, that's kind of like the basics, what you should be looking at when it comes to figuring out how you're gonna get a house in the very near future. Um, so now we will do one more question. One, one, one more question. Now I'm gonna have to make it a good one. Um, brilliant. So here's a question about plum. So if you know me and you've been following me, I scream plum from the rooftops. I'm not even like an ambassador, I should be. Um, but I love plum genuinely and it's not, for anything else, I think Plum is an amazing app. It's a great savings tool. Um, I talk about it all the time, but I have a question here about Plum. So they said, hey, I hope all is good. I've signed up for Plum and linked my Barclays. Curious question, have you used the investment area? So I always say like, if I if I can answer questions about third party apps, I will. But a lot of the time you'll get the best answers from the apps themselves. So if there's an issue with an app that I may have recommended to you, definitely go back to the retailer or the, the app 
creator and have a talk with them in app and they'll be able to give you the best answers. But since I have actually used the investment area in Plum, I will give you my feedbacks on it. Um, when it comes to Plum, so what if you haven't used that before, it's a savings tool. So once you link it to your bank account, Plum will assess your income, assess how much you spend on a regular basis. And then from there, it'll work out how much every week, I think it's every Wednesday, it'll put away in a separate pot for you to save. There's also an option for you to kind of split the money that you save. So it's called a splitter tool. It's within the app, you'll have a look. It shows you how to do it. And you can set up the investment portfolio. So this is a form of passive investment. They don't do active investment, they do passive. And when I say passive, I mean, they've really got a portfolio pre-made of certain um, companies on a portfolio. You, you obviously, I mean, you can go and have a look, see what companies are on there, but they have a portfolio of companies which they've already pre-made and they invest in stocks on your behalf based on the portfolio. So you can pick like the tech, tech portfolio. Um, I think there's one about environment. There's a basic one. They kind of all explain what kind of companies you're investing in if you pick that portfolio and they'll do that on your behalf. So with that being said, you can deposit money straight into the, the investment section or you can choose, you know what, every time you take money from my account, I want you to put 50% of it into savings and 50% of it into investments. And that's what will happen. So I've gone ahead and I've done that before. I've had some money in there. Um, and you are able to see the return if you're making money, if it's increased, um, if it's decreased, and by how much. And you can withdraw money also. So I think it's a really good way if you want to kind of get into investing um, and you don't want to be too hands-on. You think, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm looking for. Just kind of do it on my behalf. I'll give you the money. Do what you need to do. That is a great, great, great way to start. Um, and to kind of understand how investment works because you're able to see the highs and the lows you're able to track how it's done so far for the past day the past month the past week past year past five years you're able to have a look i'm able to gradually understand and better use the investment tool so i've done that and a lot of people have have said oh my gosh i put money in there and when i withdraw it from the investment it just disappears so when you put money in there obviously you invest it when if you say you know i've got money in there i want to withdraw some of it you withdraw it, it'll give you a date. It's usually a week, in a week's time, about that, because they have to go through the process. Plum are doing it on behalf. They work with another company who invests for you. So it takes some time to kind of sell those shares and get that money back. So it takes about a week to get your money back. But the money doesn't go straight into your bank account. It goes into your Plum account. So you have a savings account within Plum, where all your money that gets withdrawn from your current account goes into and anything that you withdraw from your investments goes into your Plum account. So once it gets into there, it's up to you to withdraw it back into your bank account or just keep it into savings. Completely up to you. But I love the Plum investment part. Um, it's definitely good if you want to have a look. Definitely give it a try. I'll put a link in the episode summary, episode description just for you to go and have a look and go sign up. But yeah, that brings us to a close for this episode. Hope you have enjoyed as much as I have enjoyed answering your questions if you have any more questions please do send them over to me um info at pennies2pounds.co.uk i love answering questions and i'll be doing more of these more frequently so i'll be able to kind of get you guys on and be able to ask some things for you but yeah until the next time bye guys